to be honest, like I, I love not not like the kind of the, the fame and fortune idea of it because there probably isn't a lot of money in it quite <laughs> frankly but I like the idea of having such a profound effect on people that they remember that and it's a joyous time Hello, I'm Dave I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Nick. Hello, Nick. Hello. It's a, it's an interesting spelling of Nick. So have I got that right? Is it, it is Nick or is it? Or yeah. I said it wrong. Uh, my full name is Nicholas. Right. But I spell it N I K, and that was purely a decision I made at about fourteen years old. I've gone through all the different spellings you could imagine of Nick. It's a good spelling of Nick. I mean, I like it. I just thought after I said it that maybe it was slightly differently pronounced. But I'm glad I'm glad that I got it right because it's it's terrible to mispronounce people's names. People hate that. So uh, I'm glad I didn't get that wrong. So for listeners to the show, they'll know that sometimes I don't know my guests very well. Today, very much so. Like I literally have met you for the first time today. Less than an hour ago. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the first question I ask everyone is, how do you know me? Um, so how did we come to, to, to be recording here? <laughs> well, I got in contact with you because I was aware that you're a professional storyteller, amongst other things. And I run a kids monthly podcast called the Nick Letters Clubhouse. And I've been looking for interesting and unusual people to interview. What's more interesting than a professional storyteller? Right. Although it made me nervous when you first approached me, because I sometimes feel like my website calls me a storyteller. So I feel like I'm almost promising that I'm like a kind of interesting, exciting story wizard with a big cloak and a, and a you know, and I come in and... I did and... imagine you in a trench coat that had a lot of tassels on. So I was a bit disappointed at right, that. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, storyteller, you know, I should be going all around the country and like turning up in different towns and gathering people around me to tell to tell I mean I'd, I'd love to be that kind of storyteller but I don't know there's the always time pay. for it there's always just restaurant to town hee ye hee ye right. come hear the tale of that's true X, y, and Z. I mean although yeah. I, mean, I do know some people who tell stories like that and a lot of skill and craft and time and talent has gone into it so I'm not sure I would be able to compete with them I do my kind of storytelling well I'm not I'm not kind of someone who's going to put myself down but I, I know what I do and what I don't do I used to do a lot of storytelling with children, which was one of the reasons why when you said, come on a children's show, I was like, yeah, no, actually, I'd like to do that. I kind of miss that register. And it was interesting today putting my adult job into children language, which was an interesting challenge. But being in the in that kind of speaking to four four to eight year olds is something I really do miss because I you know ideally I would do that like I've always said I would like to work with children once a week to get that kind of the excitingness of like talking to I I prefer talking to children than adults to be honest it's a really really (laughs) rewarding audience if you can crack it as it were we're still in the very early stages of our podcast so it's only a monthly podcast because it's it does take quite a lot to script it Right. I, I think that's the thing I'm still trying to get my head around and trying to get down as a as a process. Think back to your childhood. You know, everyone has shows. So for me, in the mid '90s, Power Rangers was everything to me <laughs> as a child. Yeah. And if you can create something like that, think as well. Yeah, like yeah. people of my generation, how much we love Pat Sharp and Dave Benson Phillips. Right, right, right. right. You know, Dave Benson Phillips now doing a stand-up tour. 
and tours universities doing a get your own back yeah. for your student unions. Yeah, I mean, he, he takes it to Edinburgh as well. I, I knew quite a few people who, 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 who enjoyed doing get your own back with, with Dave Benson Phillips in Edinburgh. To be honest, like, I, I love not not like the kind of the, the fame and fortune idea of it because there probably isn't a lot of money in it quite <laughs> frankly but I like the idea of having such a profound effect on people that they remember that and it's a joyous time and at the moment for children's podcasts there's a lot of there's a lot of educational shows out there right very specifically science shows right. and history shows and they're predominantly American and it's from places like NPR where they have the money to make shows on that scale whereas here in Britain beyond CBBC uh, or CBB's radio sorry yeah, and but even that. Fun Kids radio there's not a lot out there there's a few shows but there's not much and well there definitely isn't I mean I've I was saying to you before we started recording that I did a show for CBB's radio a while back it didn't get picked up for a second season part of that was because I don't think that it's very easy for children to find the radio that is out there for them like it was it was being streamed at the time and I work in podcasting and so I was like what it's streamed and not podcasted how can streaming does it how does that even exist a lot of it comes back to typically adults will find content for children right. rather than children finding it themselves. If it's out on the internet, unless you're doing it through a kids-specific app, such as Kids Listen, right. then where adults will know something like Kids Listen is safe right. for children to right. use. There's no issues. They're not going to stumble across something that you wouldn't want your child right. seeing. Unlike YouTube. Unlike YouTube, yeah. exactly. Well, Even- a lot of children do get their content. I, I, that is true. That is where yeah. they get it from. But it is a, a dicey place to get content from unsupervised, certainly. It is, and there's been news articles recently that even the YouTube Kids sub-app or sub-website, they've still had issues at not filtering out all the content that it should filter out. Right. And I know YouTube are working really hard on that to make it a safer thing to use for children. But it's a dangerous world. Like Even, even stuff like video games. Right. You know, you, you look at... Uh, I'm sure you heard about kind of something like Club Penguin that was huge a while ago. And it looks like a safe game. But then because there's uh, an interactive element of talking to other characters, you don't know who you're talking to. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, that can lead to horrible things. It all comes back to being safe on the internet. Right. I mean, and also like adults being aware of these things and like help like supervising their children when they're using devices educating their children around these issues a little bit when they're so that they're informed users like children are are absolutely capable of of thinking and making sensible decisions but they need to be given the uh, tools Uh, and adults are the people who have to provide those tools Um, and you know Many of us adults aren't great at making decisions, so I'm not saying it's easy at any point to make decisions, but yeah. And like a great example would be in the late 90s, again, back to my childhood, <laughs> would be something like South Park. Right. So South Park, right, obviously, right. if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you've heard of it, you know, very crude, late night right. cartoon. Um, and certainly people, have, I remember people in my class having seen South Park when I was about 10. Right. Uh, as an adult now, I'd be like, no way would I let a 10-year-old watch South Park. And parents complained about South Park at the time, which of course they did. You know, it's very, very crude content. But it's not up to the TV channel or the creators of South Park to stop making it because children have seen it. It's up to parents being responsible for monitoring what their children are engaging with. Right. 
I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting as well, like children's radio, as you say, there aren't very many outlet, outlets for children's radio in the UK, certainly. And that's a real shame, because if we want there to be adult radio in the future, then we need to get kids to like audio. I mean, I'm not saying that they won't. I think audio is actually out there all over the place in different ways now. Uh, podcasts are evolving, like the way that we consume media is evolving. So maybe radio is going to be less relevant but audio isn't going to be less relevant in the future it's definitely been sad to me to not see anything really on like radio 4 or like or even radio 5 for children for young children but also you know juniors and and teenagers as well like all of those groups they matter just as much as adults and they're not catered for in the audio world really in this country no no, and I think that's partly because technology has developed in such a way that certainly kind of when I was younger, it was all about television and video games were in the 90s. That's when they really became prominent. And so my spare time as a child was playing outside or I watched a lot of television and I played on my N64, which I still have. Right. Um, and parents will complain about that. And then but the things have just now shifted to different things. And so now it's it's online time right. and screen time with stuff like tablets and phones. Right. And they 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 give parents something and also that's it's a questionable something, but they they immerse the child so much that they are more engaged than audio maybe uh there is an issue with audio on its own that with with, certainly with young children pictures i mean as someone who's who's told stories to children you know picture books are the right books to be using for the under fives it would be a mistake for me to go in there with you know really good but old like wrong age based stories and tell them stories without any kind of props no i would use so many props in fact i would use as many props as possible to engage uh the very young but then again you know that's part of a process and you know certainly when I was five or six as a child, I would have been listening to story tapes. I think a lot of people probably of my generation, our generation, I think we're about the same generation from what you're saying. Um, a lot of people would be listening to story tapes back in those days. Um, uh, yeah, I certainly did. I grew up listening to, actually, we used to take them a lot from the library. I used to hire right, right, from right, the library. Too, and then you'd kind of yeah. record them and, and listen have to them later. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to a lot of Roald Dahl and a lot of Pong Whiffy, right, which right. is read by Prunella Scales. I listen to those tapes, I think. Yeah, and yeah. I've never actually read the books of them, but the tapes really stick out in my head as just fantastic stories. Right, because, I mean, they, that's the thing. Like, voices uh, are just as exciting, potentially, as pictures uh, when they're used excitingly. And, uh, like, audio can do lots more things than just have a, a voice monotonously talking. There's so many ways that you can engage children and adults in audio. Um, so it is a shame that, that I feel. And I these days I seem to say this a lot, and so it'll probably, it's probably affecting my, my future employability, but I do feel that the BBC has certainly like dropped the ball a little bit on on children's uh programming for audio and i i, I say that arguably you could say i'm bitter because i i did a program and it didn't get the uh level of promotion and support that i felt like it it deserved um but I, yeah i would i would disagree to that to a point only because it's um, sensible to disagree <laughs> well I know the BBC have recently put a lot of funding into children's media as a whole right but also if if you look at comparatively how much children engage with television compared to audio at the moment 
I could imagine from a funding perspective, it must be very hard to be able to justify suddenly putting a lot of money into something like CBB's radio and expand it, you know, tenfold. I think it will happen. I think there will be a big expansion, certainly into the podcast arena. Certainly that's um, happening now, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of going on at the moment. I think they're looking at that, but I could totally understand why they wouldn't just make a huge thing of it all of a sudden, because no, there mean, isn't the same engagement as there is with adults, but that's, and never will be. Oh, that's true, and that's true, but also if you don't have stuff there for children to engage with, then that means that over time, like if they now pick the ball back up again and start using it, then great. But I think there was definitely some years when people have been w- trying to work out what this new world is going to be, and when everything's been shifting around. And I understand that people have been waiting to see how it will all settle. And that makes sense. But when you do that, it does mean that during that settling time, you've got a gap of time that you haven't put the development work in for the for the for an infrastructure for a kind of because making stuff for children is harder than making stuff for adults, I think, in lots of ways. And you need lots of like talented people to kind of learn the skills and how to do that. I mean, yeah, and you've got so many niche audiences within children's so you think of the different age brackets and so you think zero to four you'd make well not even that zero to three yes you'd make a very different program than you would four to six or even six to eight and so on and so forth whereas adults once once you're an adult there's kind of there's always an audience for something yeah in the adult world you just got to find who that audience is well that's right and also children are so diverse in terms of you can have like 10 four-year-olds and they'll like very different things. You can have 10 10 year olds. Some of those 10 year olds will be reading, you know, adult books. Yeah. And some of those uh, 10 year olds may still be engaging with picture books. Yeah. And both and both both of those things are absolutely cool. And uh, all of the, like all ways of, of enjoying stories and stuff like that. Content, I guess is what we call it these days. All of those ways are, are good. And I don't want to invalidate any of those, but it does, you're right, make it very complicated. Like I, this show I did for CBBS was made by children in the top end of primary school, but aimed at children from four to... No, maybe I think it was two to two to eight or something other than yeah. but But it was like older children making stories for younger children, which is a great idea, but it's also a complex idea because, you know, there was interesting moments where like you have to make... Like I was doing it for the BBC, so it had to hit the requirements of the yeah. BBC. And of course the BBC want uh, things to not encourage uh unhealthy eating mm-hmm. well when you get a load of children t- together to make up a story they're gonna suggest lots of chocolate lots of like lots of cool stuff that kids really engage with so i did understand the healthy eating side of it to a certain extent um although it was complicated to kind of change the stories of that children have legitimately yeah. written but then the other side of that was was stuff like we were we were doing it in the ministry of stories which is in hoxton which is a monster supply shop you go in through the monster bit into yeah. the shop well uh that meant a lot of the stories ended up being about monsters but the bbc were a bit worried that monsters would scare young children right but the kids who we were saying well 
don't do it, don't do it about monsters. Because I mean, they they knew that the they, that the most popular book at the time for children was the Gruffalo about a monster. So they, the kids themselves could kind of call out the incorrect assessment, maybe uh, my view of the uh, that the BBC person was having when he was saying don't have monsters. Kids love monsters. Mm. I mean, fairy tales are about monsters. And kids don't just want... That's what's complicated too about making stuff for kids because if you make it just educational, that's missing out entertainment which we get as adults so why shouldn't children have entertainment too right and that's what you're talking about with power rangers yes and being excited and and like the the things being you know monster a a fairy story uh might might be might make you feel uncomfortable the way that a horror movie makes you feel uncomfortable and that's okay it's okay for some children to feel uncomfortable yeah because you always know that there's a resolution at the end of it yeah so it's like Power Rangers, in the way it's structured, is actually incredibly similar to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I've not actually ever seen, but I know it's a monster of the week right. scenario That's, where everything's right. fine, monster appears, they kind of do what they need to do, and then everything turns back to normal at the end. It always ends up being like this overarching story as well. But the fact you have that back to normality at the end, it gives your certainly a younger audience, a reassurance that everything's going to be okay. Right. Because despite there being mild peril, which one of my favourite terms to see on the back of a film cover, you've got the reassurance that the heroes will save the day. And that's right. fun in a storyline. Part of the process of growing up, of learning about the world, is to, in safe environments, explore the complicated things that you're going to eventually have to deal with. And that's what fairy stories do. That's what, I guess... Power Rangers does. Yeah. Um, that's what that's what like a lot of, of things that, that children are engaged with and enjoying do, even if people think of them as kind of meaningless cartoons or whatever it is, kids are learning loads from them and entertainment is useful and engage is an engaging way to learn. Mm. Um, even if it's not officially a learning uh, and growing kind of uh, program. So the second question I ask everybody is, what do you do now? Now? Uh, <laughs> is in like my, my job? However you it? want to take it, really. I, I like ambiguous questions that guests decide <laughs> how to answer. Okay, well, uh, I am living in London, having come from the island of Guernsey in the Channel Islands, and I am an audio producer for the charity Listening Books. Ah, cool. So I make audiobooks for people who have some kind of illness or disability that prevents them from reading. Not limited to just eyesight. Uh, it's so something like Emmy, for example, right, right. where you can't physically hold a book. It's like a library of audiobooks that you pay a really low subscription for for the year or there's sponsorships as well for people who can't afford the fee. And so within that, we obviously we buy in lots of audiobooks but we also have a remit to make educational content, which is where I come in. So a lot of the kind of educational stuff we can't really get commercially. So I create things such as horrible history books and GCSE guides, and uh, I do a few plays as well. I recently did My Boy Jack, um, which is all about Rudyard Kipling sending his son to war. Right. Uh, that was written by David Haig. So that was really fun to do. That's my, my life, basically. And so are you doing the recording or the so telling I, the stories too? I, so I produce it. So I I get given the books. I have my own studio and what have you in like central London. I find volunteer readers to read for us because we don't make any money from right. the books. Then. And that's a very reasonable... Yeah. 
approach. Um, <laughs> to kind of get the readers in, they record it and I kind of direct them. I'll then edit it and proof listen and then pass it on to the library to be uploaded. Brilliant. That's actually, that's a really great a great thing to be doing. I mean, how did that come to be something that you're doing? Uh, well, I did a master's at Bournemouth University in radio oh, right, production. Bournemouth. And um, I've met a few people who've done that uh, done that course. It seems like a great one. It's wonderful. Yeah, it was really good. It really opened my eyes. Um, so I've I've worked in or volunteered in radio in some capacity since I was sixteen. Um, I started off as a broadcast assistant at BBC Guernsey. It was like a Saturday job for me, right. answering the phones, making the tea, right. reading the traffic and travel news. And I guess as a like living on an island as well, like radio brings the world into your ears I guess. it really does there's only two radio stations on Guernsey so you've got Island FM that's the commercial station that plays all like the pop music right. stuff like that and then BBC Guernsey which is all news all talking I mean there, there is some music as well that is much more for an older audience that's the kind of divide right. you either listen to music or you listen to the news <laughs> and kind of magazine shows and right. topical stuff no, no, nowhere in between nowhere in between no <laughs> no so yeah that's that's that was And then I did student radio and I've done hospital radio, uh, which I loved. I loved doing that kind of stuff. And then I kind of knew I wanted to make money from it, but I didn't want to stay in Guernsey to do that. I know I'll always go back to Guernsey, but I'm only 27 uh, and I was 24, 25 at the time when I was kind of making that decision. So I was just like, I know I want to stay out in the world a bit longer because there's a big wide world. And Guernsey's quite a small place and it's beautiful and wonderful and I love it to pieces. There's lots of other places to see as well. Right. I mean, yeah, that makes that makes sense. I mean, I've 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 never lived on an island, but I've lived in kind of the rural countryside. Mm. So I I understand that kind of. It's probably a very similar feeling of isolation. So And, and you want to go back to it, too. Yeah, but that that's the thing. It it, get, it gets within you, but you also need to leave it. Exactly, it's strange, and it, it's really interesting. So, kind of going up through school, uh, getting to eighteen, everyone has to kind of make quite big decisions in Guernsey, like because there's no right. university in Guernsey. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, if you want to go on to further studies, you either have the choice of going to the College of Further Education on the island, or if you want to do a degree, you you have to leave the island. Right. You don't have a choice. Right. So your kind of choices are you either go into work or you move off island to continue studying. So that's quite a big decision. For me, that was really easy because I knew at that point I just needed to get off island and I needed to be in a big city and see new things and do new things. I was ready to leave the island. But then there's lots of people who were just like, this is all I've ever wanted. Yeah. I don't I don't need anything else. Yeah. I don't need to go live in a city. I can go there on holiday. So and finance is the big thing in Guernsey. So they work in finance. And what big city what big city did you go to? Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah. Wow. It's beautiful. It's not actually that big. I like, <laughs> it's quite I, a small that's city. True, the but it's, city a, it's a nice it's a nice city. It is perfect for me. It's, a nice it's really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. And um, I yeah. It's the best. So, and also one thing I've learned from our discussion is it, it's we're probably not technically in the same generation. It turns out, I'm generation before millennials. Well, I'm I'm in I'm eighty one, so it's like it's like it's just like it's just. Between, I feel like I'm on the cusp. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think you are. I think there's, um, a, there's a new word the, someone invented. Like I can't remember what it is though. For me, millennials defined. I think it's 
81 to 96. Yeah, I was disappointed. I want to be a millennial. Um, because <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up. Millennials get worry. a bad rap, and I want to, like, through solidarity. I really hate that, actually. It's beer. something that really grinds my gears. It the, is annoying. The, 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 the way the term millennial is thrown about, firstly. Right. But more importantly, a lot of connotations are thrown onto it without really thinking about, well, who is a millennial? How how did this generation get into this situation? Uh, why is it like that? No one really oh, yeah. answers those, I have, those questions. I have a lot of sympathy with millennials for the horrible situation that they generally find themselves in that, mm. have, that has been bestowed on them by past generations. But also, there's a lot of nonsense said about millennials that isn't even accurate. So there's a, a lot of... Of, of spin going on around the word millennial for sure completely and like a, a great example is look at eating and, and diets and what have you right. so if you look at the the development of food throughout the second half of the 20th century uh, you think how much different types of food were introduced into our diet based on what people were eating in Britain in the 50s to what they're eating in the 90s and there's this huge explosion of culture from all over the world and the development of artificial foods and sweeteners and sugars and da 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 da. So my my parents grew up with that culture. So my parents were born early sixties and then they hit the nineties and it is like the peak of that. Yeah. So sh- sugars everywhere. Yeah. And we know it's bad for us, but it's not really kind of questioned yeah. as such. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of born like having those treats and stuff like that. And it's not until you get to, to the two thousand late two thousands, really, when people kind of started going, "Whoa, hold on a moment now, is this a good idea? Should we be giving kids this?" So now kids don't have the same kind of diet that I had as right. a child, right. and that's great for the you know new kids. But I'm still hooked on that previous diet. I, the hardest thing I find to kick from my diet is sugar. Yeah, well, crucially, so are all of the people who are not millennials who brought up millennials. I mean, mm. that's the thing. A lot of the things that are kind of bandied around about millennials, you know, kind of negative things about being online or negative things about food or whatever it is, you know, like using emojis, whatever. Like all of these things are things that are done by everybody who is an adult. Yeah. Or, in fact, often, you know, teenagers as well. Like, like, you know, you often hear, you know, people in their 50s and 60s bemoaning the way that millennials are always on the internet and how, 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 how crazy online experiences are. And then they're doing that whilst hitting their own iPhone in yeah. their hand. And like, show, like my mum spends hours showing me, like she comes around my house and shows me her Facebook pictures. I can see them on Facebook anyway if I want but when she turns up at my house she has to show me everything that she's posting online and I and I often think you know she's in her 60s like she behaves in lots of ways yeah like a millennial in inverted commas you know but again I as someone of my age the development of the internet as being a social construct is completely within my lifetime right like uh people younger than me say like kind of your teenagers gen z or gen z as they're called apparently from a study i heard i can't remember where i heard it whereas millennials are very addicted to the internet because of the way we were kind of brought up with it 
Gen Zers are very wary of the internet. Because, so well, our details are probably everywhere on the internet because I have probably got an old Bebo account floating around somewhere and a MySpace account right. and stuff like that. Because it like, all started. Yeah, yeah web point. We didn't know any better. Yeah, web, it wasn't, web we didn't know how these things worked. In, yeah, in your, in yeah. Your... Whereas the generation now are very, very wary of where your details yeah, are. Yeah, they are. That's and that's true. why stuff like Snapchat is a really popular social media for them. Well, because that's true, actually. The younger it, it's people there and then it's gone. Yeah. And then that's it. And unless someone screenshots it, then there's no trail of... Well, this is true. I mean, the younger people I know are often the most clued up about the internet. Like, teenagers I know now know much more than I do, much more probably than you do, definitely more than the people who are moaning about them. Mm. <laughs> so, so it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's a complicated world that we're in. But yes, so you're a millennial and I'm kind of, I don't know what I am, but, I'm, but I, I want, I, I, in solidarity, I identify with millennials. Why did you decide to make a podcast for children? Well, firstly, it's a real passion. I trained as a primary school teacher, but never taught. I right. chose not to. Why, why was that? I struggled in the classroom. I enjoyed it, but I didn't want to live that lifestyle, Like especially on the training. It was all hours. I felt like I was doing everything I could. It, it was spinning plates, right. and I could only keep one plate up at a time. Right. I couldn't balance the plates right. basically is the easiest way to describe it i love coming up with creative ideas for kids but especially in a classroom environment i maybe struggled to enact them and maybe i'd be a very different teacher if i went back to it now maybe uh, i mean and a lot more success at it now i've had other experiences in the world of managing and production management i mean i like can that. believe that i mean having sort of seen how you do your podcast i think you would be a good teacher i think you've got a, a very nice way of delivering like mm. what you're doing the creative ideas and i can see that really chiming really well with children um i i think it's hard to be a teacher now completely i mean most of my family are teachers my my partner works as a as a teaching assistant in a primary school so i i hear i hear what primary schools are like every day and it's not easy mm. um and it's 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 difficult uh in lots of ways and so i can totally understand why that spinning plate uh, yeah. analogy that you're making like and i think that's a shame for teaching i think that's a shame it's for children the, the the thing for us one of the things that frustrates me with teaching uh my partner's a teacher as well and it's a very underappreciated profession right, I feel right um but also the thing that frustrates me the most is I feel personally that education policies should be bipartisan in in the government every time you see a change of party and power their essential yeah, philosophies are mean. different yeah so by the time the government makes a decision by the time it's trickled down the leadership has changed and they're deciding a new thing. Yeah, so by the time really a true. school has just got to grips with, this is the new way that we want to do things, blah, 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 blah. It changes again. Absolutely, and yeah. So you constantly got, rather than having a consistent way of educating and just doing the best thing for children, that it, it becomes like a, a party tool to win favour with people, which yep. isn't... Which, doesn't make sense. I mean, I suppose you can say that with all infrastructure, but it's particularly noticeable with children and teaching. Because, because there's such a dramatic yeah, change yeah. between the, the two philosophies. Like with healthcare, fine, <clears throat> uh, you know, one party might want to privatise, one keep it public. But apart from that... Doctors still need to relative, learn the same thing. Exactly. It so, doesn't change how they yeah, do their jobs. Right. Maybe changes the infrastructure around it. Whereas 
a change in policy in education fundamentally changes how teaching works. Like the, the phonics screening that came in for year one. Yep. Uh, so now all children in year one have to do a test to prove that they can do phonics. But not all children learn to read using phonics. Right. It doesn't benefit all children. It benefits some and not others. So you're forcing children. It's, it's like that picture where you see all the different animals and it says, this is a fair test. You'll do the same test. Go climb that tree. And there's goldfish just there just going, well, this is unfair. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's right. I think that's, that's, that's a big problem uh, that in general is that whether the aim of the education system is towards one kind of way or another kind of way, regardless of that, and I agree, it keeps switching, mm. and that is completely confusing. I mean, when I used to work with the under-fives, I, I observed that too, because there are curricula from not onwards. The yep. national curriculum starts uh, in nursery schools. And so like, the fact that that curriculum changes mm. is a problem, but there's also the problem that the curriculum is one curriculum anyway. Yeah. And so like not being able to be responsive to the goldfishes, to the different kinds of ways that people are, like not being allowed to give water to the goldfish, um, that that is a big part of the problem. And, it's, and it sounds to me like the kind of way that you want to teach isn't, isn't very compatible with the kind of education system that was available for you to, to, to go into. Possibly. I, I mean, mean, I'm not saying that there weren't personal things that you also yeah, had to learn too. I, I'm, not, I'm not putting it all on the system, but, you know. No, I, I think, I, I mean, it, it plays into it, certainly. But equally, I think in terms of me teaching, there was more for me to try and jump through that I, that's, basically what I struggled with whereas actually I didn't want to I would much rather enjoy being creative and doing creative things for children that they can still maybe learn or benefit from or be entertained by without the maybe the restrictions of the role of being a teacher and being responsible for 30 children for you know a whole year for the right majority of the know, and there are values uh, in, in in that I mean it's like how it's valuable to have parents it's also valuable to have uncles and aunts right? mm. and it's the same in schools it's valuable to have a teacher but it's also valuable to have it the person who comes in on Friday to do the music session or whatever yeah. and I guess that's the kind of thing that I was so I, I got to go into nurseries and children's centres and do what I loved, but I didn't have to worry then about everything else once I left that centre and went to the next one. Mm. So I can I can see that. And like, again, just like with your analogy about different kinds of animals or going and climb a tree, I think that there's values in having all of the animals available to children. So all of the different ways that adults can teach, it's great for kids to have those kinds of experiences and not yep. all of them have to be a class teacher and not all teaching uh, happens, you know, in schools, like it happens all over the place, and it could easily happen in podcasts, which sounds like the, the way that you're going. I guess in in terms of what you're doing, you're you're putting your your the things that you the, attracted you to teaching. You're putting those into what you're doing with your podcast. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I I think it's just an exciting area as well. It's an underserved area, like we were talking about before. Uh, there isn't much, certainly in the UK, that provides audio for children there there are a couple of outlets like fun kids radio and cbb's radio um there's the peace out um podcast as well that's bedtime stories and another one and they're very short stories right um 
but really audio wise there's not much out there and I, I, I want to serve that market because I've got the skills to do it and I've got the passion for it and the drive for it so yeah yeah and, and what is your show like how does it work so it's like I said before it's called the Nick Letters Clubhouse <laughs> uh, it's a monthly kids show for four to eight year olds uh, and we invite all the Cub Sprouts that's what we call our uh audience the people who listen uh the children we'll invite all the cub sprouts to listen it's about a 20 minute show i play the role of nick lettuce who's in charge of the club and my partner she plays flo the crow right who's a mischievous uh bolshy i'd maybe say character who <laughs> has very big ideas about what she wants to do uh, and each show we interview a guest, so we interviewed you for an upcoming show. We've spoken to Jonathan Messenger, who's another kids podcaster in America. Uh, we've spoken to author and illustrator Sophie Hen as well, who makes children's picture books. But around that we have skits and, and jokes. Right. So in the episode that you'll be featuring in, for example, we have a fairy tale parody called Flo White and the Six Worms. Right. Supposed to be seven, but she got hungry. Um, <laughs> and, and things, silly things like that. Yeah. So it, it feeds children's curiosity and, and inquisitiveness, but it's not necessarily outright, you're going to learn about this. Yeah. Because there's lots of great shows for that already. And I want to do something different. Well, that's the good thing as well with, with, it, with it being audio, like you don't even have to have a puppet to have a, a crow. Yeah, uh, which I which actually I was surprised. Like I actually was, I think I was expecting it. Some part of my mind was expecting a puppet uh, today to to, uh, to interact with. So it was inter- interesting to be imagining the crow, mm. but, but obviously seeing your partner uh, being the crow, which she's great at. Uh, oh, she's absolutely brilliant. fantastic. Yeah, um, and yeah, I I've got lots of ideas how I'd maybe want to expand it, but for now it's. What it is, is it's a monthly show and I want to kind of see how it goes from there. I'm taking it slowly because yeah. uh, it, it, it is a lot of work at the moment and I don't want to, I don't want to try doing too much too quickly and then it falls flat or it, something goes wrong with it and I can't continue it. I'd much rather, I want to build it up slowly, but I've definitely got goals of where I want to Take it. I mean that sounds like a good like both both taking it slowly and having goals. That's mm. a good that's a good combination. I mean, let's say, and this is the the you're you're sort of at the start of the of the project, right? Yes. So at the time of speaking, there's already three episodes that have been released. I've got two more that's already kind of scripted or mostly scripted, and yeah, it's just just a monthly thing at the moment. And I'm outside of that, I'm just working on lots of other ideas of things to develop in my own time to try and develop more stuff in the future for kids. I mean, it sounds like you've, you've yeah, you've got a, a couple of different skill sets that you can now put together to do this really yep. well. Like the audio work that you've been doing, the, the radio uh, skills that you've learned in Bournemouth, all of that stuff. Yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like you're in a great position to do what you're doing. I'm very excited to, to, to keep on seeing where it goes to. What are your end goals? Like, what is your... Um, big big vision I think being able to do it more often and doing different types of shows for kids as well and I think just expanding that repertoire is there's like other pipe dream ideas in the head that I don't really <laughs> want to say for now right. sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes it's good to keep them in your head yeah, yeah I but I definitely I would, I would love to do it kind of the show more often I'd love to have it come out every fortnight 
something like that. But I'm aware that's a lot of work for me at the moment until right. the, I, I kind of get that down pat. But I should say as well, if you want to check out the show, you can go to nicklettersclubhouse.com. That's N-I-K for, for Nick. Yeah, I mean, people should definitely check that out. I, I, it's it's earlier than I normally do the the, the plug, but that's good. We'll, we'll 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 but you'll have to say it again, is all. No, that's fine. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, it's it's good to say these things as many times as as, as possible. Really, I mean, I'm terrible at doing that. Really, I I, I in fact, when I was doing your show uh, earlier, I, that was the the hardest moment I've had in ages to work out how to plug my stuff because mm. so much of my stuff is not really appropriate for four to eight year olds. So yeah, I didn't uh, go on and on about my, my, my mansplaining masculinity book project that I'm trying to get funded and stuff like that just because it's just not appropriate and you've no. got to fit what you're promoting into what you're doing. Luckily this show you can promote literally anything you want. Woohoo! So, uh, so, so, you know. Well, I have also got a new ice cream now, don't I? <laughs> I am publishing a book through Unbound. Unbound are a publishing company, which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is they're half publishing company and half crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. Unbound approached me in December to see if I wanted to adapt my show What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity into a book and I said yes please I definitely would like to do that and so that is what I'm doing if you go to the Unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book the way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it and people like you telling other people about it, sharing it on social media, recommending it to other people, those kinds of things. You can find out what the book is fully about by reading about it on the page. There's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about. But basically, Mansplaining Masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society, but also the ways that men hurt other people in society. It is not a book that says that men are the problem, but it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it, you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men, which was a reflection on an extension of the show. So... Listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. You went to Liverpool, was that where you did 
That's where I studied teaching. Right. Uh, and then didn't teach. Uh, <laughs> but then, so after that, I ended up working, worst job of my life, I worked door-to-door for two months, um, trying to get people to sign up to a charity, to donate to a charity. I mean, I'm sure that was a really horrible job to do, but like ha- have it having ended i should imagine you probably learn a lot of useful skills i am uh, so the only reason i did it for two months as opposed to one week is because i'm an eternal <laughs> optimist right you're right i did learn a lot from doing that job yeah, yeah. so i got myself into a fair bit of debt doing it because i was so determined that i could do it that i had the skills to do it so i really appreciate what i learned from doing it one of the things they said was like so you go door to door, you had like 180 doors a day. You would like map it out on a, on a map in an area. So we'd have our team talk at like midday-ish till two and do kind of a bit of training at the office in central Liverpool. And then we'd drive out to different places in the northwest. So Blackpool right. and Warrington <laughs> and, and even like up to Wigan and near just outside of Manchester right. and places like that. And we'd go door to door. And it was for a children's charity. That was, so you're raising money for people... To support children who've been abused. So, you know, great cause, obviously. And we'd be paid 100% commission based on every person we get to sign up to a monthly payment of something like, I think it was like £10 a month, something like that. What I learned is you'd get your door, the door slammed in your face a lot. Those ones were fine. I could deal with that, no problem. It was when people would lead you on at the door and just go, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not interested, never been interested. I just thought I'd waste your time. They right. were the most demoralising moments. Right. Uh, but we were told, as long as your pitch was good, your speed of getting door-to-door, and your attitude, they were the three things that were the most important things. If you were good at all three of those, then you would sell. And so I learnt quickly like how important having a great attitude is. So when I then worked, went to work in retail in a shoe shop and worked up into management... I was really good at selling because right. um, I had the I could move around the shop quickly and get to customers because it's very like kind of personal service. Uh, I worked on my pitch and tweaked what I was saying. I was very aware of what I was saying, but I had a great attitude about it as well. So people were interested to talk to right. me. And I kind of came up with this analogy when I was trying to train other people to do door to door. I had this analogy of you imagine a gumball machine filled with white gumballs. And in there, there are two, maybe three red gumballs. They're the ones that you really want. They're your sales for the day, right? So every time you kind of turn the knob to get out a gumball, you need to put the right amount of money in. Otherwise, you're not going to get that gumball. Someone else might get it. And you don't know whether those red gumballs are going to come out the first time. You don't know if it be the very last one. They might be probably somewhere in the middle there. You just don't know. So every time... You have to give it the perfect pitch, yeah, the perfect attitude, and then you've put the right amount of money in the slot. Yeah, no, I, I recognise that from doing various jobs I've done as well. Like, it's good to like have a a, a a personal goal, like your own way of conceiving it, your own game, I guess. Mm. Like you're almost like that's what makes a, a job kind of yeah, like go by, and like you can exist in it if you kind of make your own game. I used to have that with doing shelf stacking like the the goal was always to try and get like every single shelf stacked to the like to the max and like that wasn't that wasn't my job like I was supposed to you know generally make sure things were stacked but for me it was like if I end with everything stacked at the end of the night then 
yes, I've achieved my personal goal. And as soon as you do that, then it changes what you're doing. So it's no longer just a boring, generic job. You've given yourself purpose right, in that role. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. You sell shoes. Yep. And that was still in Liverpool. That was, it started in Liverpool and then I worked up through management. So I went to be, I trained, was a training manager in Stoke-on-Trent uh, for about kind of six, nine months. And then I moved down to Jersey for about nine months, nearly a year uh, as a deputy manager before I realised that I didn't want to work in retail all my life. Right. And so, I mean, so you went back to another island. Went back to, yeah, the rival island. The next of one, home yeah. Island. Right. Um, yeah, which was an interesting move. It was it was hard, actually. It was, it was because in my head, the idea was I'd move closer to home and I'd be able to see my family more because I wasn't seeing my family much. Right. Because it's it hard to get home. It's expensive as well to fly. And I did get home more, but not as much as I wanted because in retail, you're open seven days a week. So your days off aren't typically just weekends. Right. And you don't earn a lot working in retail either. Right. So... And you might be, you know, on the next island along from from Guernsey, but you're 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 still on a different island. Still on a different so island. It's not exactly. like you can go and see your family easily. It's no. still a complex like you still have to work it out, like work it like it's, it's like a ten minute flight yeah. that is expensive. A flight. Yeah. A flight. So it's, I think that was like <laughs> eighty quid at the time. Or it, you could get the, the slow boat was right. three hours. Right. And the fast boat was an hour. But it still takes time and you've got to get there and back. And right. Especially with boats it depends on tides and yeah, weather absolutely. and things like that as well so so you you decided that you didn't want to live well you didn't want to work in retail and you didn't want to kind of it wasn't working for you yeah, as well as you'd hoped well it was whilst I was in Jersey that I made the decision to go into radio or try and pursue that because like I said I'd had experience and I've been consistently doing stuff in hospital radio but I wanted to get paid for it basically right, right. and I wanted to develop my skills more because uh, I didn't just want to be a journalist, like working at BBC Guernsey. I wanted to be a producer or a presenter or something like that. News doesn't necessarily interest me as something to work on. I mean, obviously, I enjoy kind of taking it in and what have you. I prefer stuff that's entertaining or informative rather than journalistic. I don't think I've got that journalistic edge t- t- to me. Right. And so you went from there to Bournemouth? Uh, well, I went home for a year because I couldn't oh, afford, right. couldn't afford it. Yeah. So um, I went home and saved up money working in finance for a year, just kind of temping here, there, and everywhere to be able to pay for my masters. Right. You went to Bournemouth, and then after Bournemouth, you must have come to London, I guess. Yeah, straight to London in August. August wow. Gone. So you're, so so you're, you're, so you're, you're in your first year in I'm London. My first year of London, and, and you've already like you're already doing a. Pro- I mean, it took me. I think. I don't think I started even thinking about doing creative projects till I'd been here at least a year or so. Mm. Like you're, 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 you've hit the ground running. I like it. It's, it's why I came to London. To, right. I mean, we, that's we, why I came to London yeah. too. But I, it's just so big and Londony that it takes to me at least a while to get my head into gear for London. Yeah. After going to gear, it's been a brilliant. I mean, I've now been here for fifteen years, and I'm, I'm probably going this year. I'm so leaving London I'll be sad to go but like uh, during that time it's been great it has done Mm. a lot for me but it is a different pace a different way of being and there's good things and bad things about that and certainly I'm glad that I'm going home not in the rush hour that I came here in yeah uh, for example yeah 
So, so right. So you're, you've, you've hit the ground running. You're in London. You're using your Bournemouth skills in your day job and in your pa- uh, passion project. Yeah. Very exciting time. It is. And, you know, and you're 27 as well. So that's a, a, a you, you still got like, you know, you're not even 30 yet. So you can say like, I've achieved all of this uh, before <laughs> 30, which is good, uh, I guess. Although I loved uh, turning 30. I have to, I recommend it. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll look forward to that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was nice to not be a fish like for, to, to to be able to kind of if anybody considered me to be young, I could be like no, you know I'm, I've passed the point that youth is is what is expect because people do you know treat you in work and I'm sure you as a young manager will have found that it's it's interesting being young. Yeah, uh, managing managing especially managing people who are either older than older you than or you. have been in the business longer yeah, than exactly. you is, is always hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I when I worked in libraries for years, I was generally with people who were my parents' age, and also like yeah, people who were parents. I mean, well, when I say my parents' age, I mean my mum's age. Uh, my dad's actually much older than my mum, so yeah. he's like ninety-five now. So they, but, uh, yeah, I was working with people who were my mum's age, whose parents were my dad's. <laughs> wow, age. yeah. So it was weird, um, but uh, but definitely interesting. But definitely, I was tired of being treated like a young person. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, if you're a man, you get some some slight benefits if they're if you're working with majority women uh which i was you get the benefit of that they're all mothering you which is annoying but you get some benefits from that like cakes or whatever of course Um, cakes are always a good bonus but at the same time uh yeah i was pleased to turn 30 so yeah it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you um i've noticed that your partner has put her head around the door at one point so i hope i'm not keeping you too much from your your dinner um so i'll take this opportunity to ask you the last question which you've already answered so it'll probably go quite quickly uh which is uh do you have anything to plug uh well yes uh, as i've you may have noticed throughout the show uh i do (laughs) i run a kids podcast uh, which is a monthly show. It's on Radio Public and it's on Spotify and it's on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and basically anywhere you can <coughs> get podcasts uh, for four to eight year olds. Uh, if you want to find out all the details, go to nicklettersclubhouse.com. That's N I K for Nick. Uh, and yeah, I think that's, that's all of it though. Brilliant. And the last thing I asked my guests uh, to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Oh, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you listen to more of Dave Pickering's show. It's been wonderful. Thank you, and goodbye. Bye, everyone. And since recording this conversation, I have, in fact, moved out of London. I'm now living in Lancaster, and also what has happened in that time is that the episode of Nick Lettuce's Clubhouse that I was a guest on has come out and it's a, a, I really enjoyed listening back to that episode. It's enjoyable uh, because it's a, a great produced show. The, the skits are really funny and engaging, but also from a personal point of view, it's enjoyable to me to listen to myself trying really hard to find age appropriate language to describe things. It's quite funny for me to listen back to that uh, and to hear myself squirm. But I think I do an okay job at it and it's a great episode and Flo the Crow is uh, a really fun person to talk to, uh, as is Nick. And so those of you with young children, make sure that you check out that episode and all other episodes of Nick Lettuce's Clubhouse. If you're interested in hearing about masculinity and 
what patriarchy does to men and to all people. If you go to the Unbound website, and there'll be a link to this in the show notes, you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. Unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company and a crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship check out my essay series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad as well as making getting better acquainted i also co-produce and i guess star in the magical realist audio drama podcast the family tree in order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be we need your help so if you can afford to then please do consider signing up to our patreon appeal you can find getting better acquainted on twitter at gba podcast you can find it on facebook at getting better acquainted and you can find it anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet and if you want to email me personally that's gba podcast at gmail.com or i'm goosefat 101 on twitter and remember there are lots of ways to get better acquainted